it's high time to start treating Donald Trump like the loser he is. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Let's be clear. Donald Trump is running for president for one reason and one reason only, to avoid spending the rest of his years in a federal or state penitentiary. The judicial system does not have to bend over backwards to accommodate the dangerous incitement and Nazi-echoing word vomit of a man who decided to make himself a political candidate. Quite the contrary. Donald Trump must exercise self-control to continue enjoying the privilege of being a free man. If he is not able or willing to control himself, then that is what pretrial detention is for. Enough with the fear, the caution, the dance around balancing this madman's so-called rights as a political candidate with his obligations as a criminal defendant. The former is a farce. The latter is a demand. When Team Trump came to me six years ago with a $1.5 million arbitration demand, I could have done that dance. I could have bought into their notion that his campaign had all the free speech rights and protections in the world, and I had none. But I didn't. I looked at the law and I applied it without fear of the rep repercussions. And that courage has been a shield for me. I stared the empty vessel of a bully that is Trump world in the face and said, your intimidation, your lawlessness, and your endless attacks on the rights of others may have worked for decades, but it won't work with me. And you know the ending, I won. If judges are afraid of applying the law strictly to Donald Trump now, they're in for a rude awakening when they see the consequences of not applying it. In the short term, maybe more pipe bombs and fentanyl lace packages and wannabe political assassins. Maybe the next hammer attack is deadly on a member of Congress or a prosecutor or a judge's clerk. Treating Donald Trump with kid gloves is playing with fire. And in the long term, it's even scarier. A president who disqualified himself from taking the oath gets sworn in again because the courts punted. We end up with Project 2025, lawless Trump loyalists running government, sentencing dissidents to gulags, sprawling migration camps, the military turned against its own citizens on day one. Even you, Judge Cannon, you'll be safe until you're not. Because when American democracy ends, all bets are off. And Donald Trump has a special way of turning on his own. If you're watching this live, it's Black Friday, but I don't mean to get too dark. What I do want to do is inspire our courts and our judges to understand their role and do what the moment and history demands of them. It's the season of light after all. What better way to bring light and love and hope to this country than justice? than that gift of unmitigated accountability I've been talking about for years that will bless everyone, including Donald Trump himself. My guest today, um, you've probably never heard of him, but I was talking to Christian Slater and he said, you should really check out this guy. He hosts a legal podcast. I watch it all the time. So, you know, I found him and I, I got him on the show. Please give a warm welcome to the host and star of a show called Legal AF, Michael Popak. Welcome to Lights On. Thank you, Jessica. So you and Christian Slater are tight, huh? Yeah, you know, we talk all the time. Um, sometimes when I don't get to talk to him in person, I check his Twitter feed or Instagram and, you know, that's where your picture popped up. <laughs> Yeah, for those that don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> about Legal AF, I was I had the pleasure of literally bumping into Christian Slater, the famous 1990s and after that actor on the streets of New York. And he is, I'll just leave it at this, he is a huge Legal AF and Midas Touch content fan. And I was touched by that. And um, there's a picture that, that resulted that Jessica is referring to, but I'm so pleased to be Back on your show. I'm, I'm, yes. I don't, I don't know if I get a satin jacket like they do on Saturday Night Live for hosting or being a guest host, but you know, I think this is like number three or number four with you. Well, it's number two, but hey, hey, this is I, only the second time I've only been on the, the show? second time with you on this show. Oh, but right. you look really snazzy. You've gotten Thank married you. since you were last here. Thank you. 
Um, you know, I've defeated hundreds of Trump NDAs. A lot has happened. So um, it's wonderful to have you back and catch up, especially for the holidays. <laughs> Thank you very much. And the season of light, I agree with you. Yes, season of light. So, I mean, do you agree with me, Popak, on this, um, this, you know, demand that I have for our judicial system to stop treating Donald Trump with kid gloves? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing, what we're watching, Jessica, and for the audience is, we're watching a judicial system led by judges who are struggling to contain an out of control Donald Trump, who's trying to test and overthrow the justice system, just the way he tried to test and overthrow the guardrails of democracy and try to stay in power. And it's the same person that would lead an insurrection in order to stop the peaceful transfer of power to the rightful winner of the election. That's the same guy that's going to challenge um, and try to overthrow the justice system that supports democracy, that's one of the legs of democracy. Um, and so you're watching federal and state judges who have never had to contend with an out of control ex-president. Um, and they're trying to use the rules that are on the books, the case law that's been developed against a person that's trying to wrap himself, not in the American flag, but in the First Amendment and claim that everything he does and says regardless of the result or impact, is cloaked somehow in First Amendment protection because he has got core political presidential speech because he's running for office. Look, we've always known that the only the, one of the main reasons Donald Trump is running for office is not for his love of the country, not because he wants to be president. He barely wanted to be president the first time. It's well known that he, he did it as a lark in response to Barack Obama making fun of him at a White House correspondence dinner. He never thought he would, he would win. He thought it would bolster his brand and make him more money. He was on the kind of the balls of his ass financially. You know, billionaires don't generally do the celebrity apprentice. You know, people at the end of their careers or no careers do that. And so he, he didn't want to win, run the first time. He's only running now because he thinks it's his best chance to stay out of the penitentiaries that you mentioned in your opening. And if it wasn't for that, we'd never hear from Donald Trump again. If, if he wasn't facing and knew he wasn't facing post, certainly after Jan 6th, criminal indictments all around the country, he would not be running for office. I'm convinced of that. No, absolutely not. Like I always say, it's his criminal impunity plan. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that's been mirrored by much of the GOP. Um, but tell kind of I know you did this in a hot take, but um, you know, give us a little refresher on what happened the other day in in the appeal of that gag order um, and what you think they're going to come back on as far as um, you know, will they limit it? Um, mm -hmm. and and really, where does it play out? Because we know Donald Trump is going to violate it again. Then what happens? Yeah, so for those just to to to, to bring it quickly up to speed, the d c Court of Appeals, three-judge panel, two people appointed, two judges appointed by Obama, one by Joe Biden, just heard oral argument after full briefing on whether Judge Chutkin's reinstatement of her gag order against violent rhetoric being used by Donald Trump to target by name participants in the criminal justice system, including uh, prosecutors, staff, FBI agents, staff, and witnesses, and intimidation related to those witnesses, whether that was going to be, um, was whether that was going to survive constitutional and judicial scrutiny or not. Let me just say that Judge Chutkin has a very good track record of having her major decisions upheld on appeal. She's not one of these judges that gets reversed often. In fact, I, I've, I've only half joked, because I believe it to be true, that when there is an opening, an opening eventually in the future on the D.C. Court of Appeals that this case is now being argued in front of, I think Judge Chutkin will be elevated by Joe Biden. And if there's an opening on the Supreme Court, she will be on the shortlist, not because he's, he's rewarding her for you know, having the trial of Donald Trump, although that's how it'll be played out, but because she's a really fair and brilliant jurist. And so you have she has a tremendous amount of wind at her sail to have her decision to gag Donald Trump in this limited fashion upheld by this appellate panel. And I listened to the two-hour oral argument that just took place a day or so ago. It was supposed to be 40 minutes total, turned out to be two hours, most of which was spent for the three judges really boxing in the lawyer for Donald Trump, John Sauer, who if you look him up, he's a MAGA right-wing lawyer 
<clears throat> had been an attorney, assistant attorney general in some state, I can't remember which one, Louisiana or Missouri, who's written things to Congress about against the Biden administration. He's MAGA through and through. And so he did a lot of tap dancing. But I said, Jessica, on Legal AF, the show that we do here also on the Midas Touch Network, that the way I thought the oral argument was going to go exactly how it went, they were going to box him in early with, with the following questions. And it was led by Judge uh, Pillard. Firstly, your, your client's not above the law, right? You agree with me? And he said, yes. Okay. And your client, um, he's, oh, the First Amendment, but your client's not above the law, right? Right. <laughs> and so give for me the example, sir, of where you think he would cross the line and would entitle a judge to gag him because they want to understand the limits of the argument. And so he couldn't answer it. He didn't want to answer it. And so the judge says, so are you telling us that the only thing that a, a judge, trial judge can do to protect the sanctity of the justice system, the administration of justice, which is at the core of the Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial, right? And that comes in conflict sometimes with the First Amendment. You're telling me that the only, that the only thing that that trial judge can gag are things that are already crimes on the books, only criminal conduct? Why would we have that? Criminal conduct is crimes. You're telling me there's no gag order for that space in between? It's not a crime, but it's also interfering with the justice system. And he couldn't answer the question. And she says, well, you're, you're supposed to be able to answer that question. You're here in my courtroom arguing something. And it went sort of downhill from there, even though they gave it, Jessica, as as much to the, you know, to be fair and balanced. Yeah. They gave it to the Department of Justice lawyer as well. Here's my prediction. They're going to rule that a truck because it's not just this case. It's the mm -hmm. precedent for future cases where the defendant may not be named Donald Trump or may be named Donald Trump again. So they're worried about precedent being set and how it's mm -hmm. going to be applied by federal judges. So here's, the here's I think, the, the underpinnings of the ruling that's going to come out in the next week or two. One, um, trial judges can, can issue gag orders to protect the sanctity of the administration of justice short of conduct that would ultimately also be crimes. So in that interstitial space, they can regulate. That's one. Two, the First Amendment has limits and has to yield. If you are a criminal defendant facing felony counts, you don't have an unfettered First Amendment right to say and do anything you want just because you're running for the presidency. That's going to be two. Third, the third thing they're going to rule is she was allowed, her findings of fact are going to be accepted as true, and they're not going to find that she clearly abused or that it was clearly erroneous, the findings of fact that she made about Donald Trump's conduct, the call and response between him and his followers that often lead to violence, those facts are going to be accepted as true by the, by the uh, uh, court. And then lastly, they're going to say that some shape of a gag order is going to be pretty close to what Judge Chutkin ruled is going to be reinstated on Donald Trump. That's my prediction. Yeah, um, a couple of points there. I mean, first of all, there was a lot of, uh, you know, following up on your summary, I, I read through um, some of the comments of the judges too, and I, I think there was a lot of weighing of the, the prophylactic or preventative purpose of a gag order versus, you know, therapeutic cause, you know, if if something, God forbid, happens, um, the Trump lawyers are almost arguing if, and correct me if I'm wrong, that something bad would have to happen first <laughs> for no, them you're, you're a gag right. order to be issued, which is an extremely dangerous scenario. Um, it's also one that turns, in. sorry, it turns the, you're exactly right. <clears throat> Pardon me. It turns the law of gag orders on and this head. type of treatment on its head because, yeah. and I said this even before when I read their brief, I said on legal AF, uh, they've come up with a new um, a new doctrine. The doctrine is your speech has to literally kill, maim, or injure somebody in order for there to be a gag order, and that's not the law. And what he the the, the uh, John Sauer, not to be confused with John uh, John Sauro, not to be confused with John Lauro, Lauro. another lawyer. I, he, I think he purposely picks. Uh, people have almost the exact same name. In fact, when I saw it reported, I thought where I read it had the name a typo. I thought Laura made the argument that I read, no, it was Sorrow. But the, the, Sorrow got hung up on the prophylactic that the gag order is meant, sir, right, to prevent the thing from happening, the worst case scenario. You understand that, right? That's what a gag order, gag order is for. We're trying not to have people intimidated, killed, maimed, or worse because of your person's speech. And he, again, he did, he, he got hung up on 
art because he has nothing else to argue, trying to get into the minutia of certain case law, which even Judge Garcia, who's the Biden appointee, challenged him on and basically said, but you're wrong on the law. The case that you're citing for the leading proposition to support your position actually goes against you, doesn't it, sir? And he was like, well, but in the, and the guy said, yeah, but that section isn't the decision of the, that is in dicta. That is not the ruling of the court. So again, I, I'll, I'll, you're totally right. The two things they're struggling with, to just to summarize it, is a the limits of a trial judge's ability to protect the sanctity of the criminal justice system against the First Amendment right of a criminal participant in the justice system, not a stranger. They kept arguing that this is a heckler's veto. This is not a heckler's veto, which is what it sounds like. Joe Biden or Barack Obama is given a speech and somebody like with, with Barack Obama, with the South Carolina congressman, yells out, you lie. That's a heckler. That's allowed. That's I mean, I like it. I think it breaches decorum, but that's First Amendment speech. This is not a heckler's veto. He's not a heckler. He's a criminal defendant, defendant. in a case. Yes. And that's the intersection of the First and Sixth Amendment. And what the judges came away with, Jessica, is, and to remind the lawyer for, for Trump is, the Sixth Amendment rights of your client need to be protected sometimes from himself. He has a right to a fair and impartial trial, whether he wants it or not. And the fact that he keeps talking and intimidating future jurors and intimidating witnesses is undermining his own First Amendment right <laughs> to a fair and impartial jury, whether he realizes it or not. So we got to protect, not only do we have to protect the world from Donald Trump, which you're we doing. We have to protect him from himself. We have to protect Donald Trump from himself in the criminal My justice team. system. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, but I wanted to, uh, if you want to, I'll keep talking about this. But if you, no, question, uh, shoot, speaking shoot. Speaking of Donald Trump and protection, yeah. yeah. I, you and I never spoke about, well, I've, I mean, we've spoken at, 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 at a distance about your, your NDA case, but I've got, I've got a question. So yes. you, signed, you signed an NDA that would have applied to the 2016 campaign, right? Correct. Or, 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 and forevermore, right? Correct. On the way out. And there was a whole series of other staffers. That, that did the exact same thing. Right? Hundreds, if not thousand plus. They gave us an, a number in the hundreds. I happen to think it's way higher, but okay. yes. And so based on the settlement and the resolution of the case, yes. all of those NDAs, all of those uh, uh, non-disclosure agreements that gagged all of you have been removed, right? 100%, an injunction barring their enforcement by any party, including Donald Trump. Okay, two questions, two follow-ups. <laughs> Person from Legal AF, Michael Popak, Legal AF, two five. Okay, yes. <laughs> One. Yes. Um, is there is there also a provision that stops him in his new campaign or otherwise from trying it again? What there is is there is a court precedent, but going back to the precedent that I set in March of 2021, that they would be running up against if they are you know, ludicrously re-employing the same language that has been ruled invalid and unenforceable through 2020 or 2024 campaign NDAs. So they could um, try it, but they'd be, they but, they, it. but, but they, it, it, it could likely get overturned very likely of the precedent that you set. All right. Very likely, which is, sense. yeah, which is why it is so important um, for this case to get as much publicity as possible so that people are aware that these agreements are are legally unenforceable and that they have a right to challenge them. I mean, as you know, I think I think you know this, um, Michael Cohen used our case precedent um, okay. repeatedly in his motion to dismiss and Donald Trump subsequently dropped that $500 million lawsuit against him. So while the while our case, in, you know, a specific letter is limited to the 2016 campaign NDAs, that precedent has legs and is already being applied um, in other ways. So here's my follow up. Yeah. <laughs> now that you're no longer subject to a 2016 or any NDA and the others aren't either. Nope. Here's the questions on every everybody's mind. Yes. What types of things could you and the other people talk about that would that would put Donald Trump in a bad place. What, what? Okay, you're no longer gagged. I'm not asking you to break news on your own show. <laughs> but what? Absolutely what is it? anything. Yeah. yeah. But what is it? What did you observe, or what? What do you think others observed that they could talk about now freely? 
I like the possibility. Here's here's what I'll frame the question. Yeah. I, 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 I'm all for invalid non-disclosure agreements being set aside. Although I'm an employment lawyer a lot for management side and I like NDAs in other in other in other places. But, for, but under <laughs> hey, these they have legitimate purposes yeah, sometimes. Yeah. We're not against all NDAs. Right. <laughs> but here I get and I and I, I totally wholeheartedly support what, everything that you did and, and the result. But now that it's gone, yes. Do you think there's going to be you can you can talk hypothetically. Do you think there's going to yeah. be a series of people coming forward talking about mistreatment or otherwise at the hands of Donald Trump? Okay, so I'll take the second part of your question first. <laughs> I think that there is still an atmosphere of fear uh, that controls a lot of people that lived in Donald Trump's orbit. You know, I tweeted out when, when we won, uh, when the judge ordered this settlement into law, no more excuses for silence. Okay, the legal, the legal threat that sort of Damocles hanging over everybody's head to threaten them um, into bankruptcy, like they did me for speaking their mind, is gone. That is gone. So now all that remains are their personal calculations, right, Pope? Um, and unfortunately, I think for many, those calculations are um, outweigh. The legal freedom they have been given. So is there a coming um, onslaught of news about Donald Trump and truthful speaking? And really for me, you know, I'm writing finally, finally writing my own book. And by the way, writing it with urgency because I feel like, you know, this is the moment we cannot not do everything in our power in this next year. And so while I've been speaking out for years and sure as hell didn't wait to write a book, I am writing that book now and I'm gonna tell you everything that I experienced on that campaign in a minute. I'll tell you a couple of them. But, um, you know, there are so many personal and career calculations. There is a lot of um, peer pressure that, that people take into consideration. Um, and I just really hope that people can step back from that to, like I was talking to the judges, I hope the former Trump staff, uh, former Trump staffers can step back from what they feel is in their immediate world right now and think about how they're gonna feel, you know, 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, if, when they finally realized that they had an opportunity to speak out in this moment when these threats were facing us and they did not, and they have to tell that to their children. Um, you know, take that into consideration. Are we gonna have a, a, a you know, flood of, of truthful stories coming out? I don't know, but should we? And is now the moment? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, we'll have you on our show when you're uh, when you're ready to break the news. Of well, I'll tell you. You know, I'll tell yeah. you a couple. I'll tell you a couple things. I mean, that that I haven't really spoken of. So let's break some news. Um, one one of the figures that emerged in has emerged in the depositions of my lawsuit is a character named Stephen Chung. Mm -hmm. Stephen Chung is a name that you are you familiar with his name? Is he as disgusting in person as he is in the photos? Uh, I don't like to describe people as disgusting, but I, yes. I, I yes. will. <laughs> okay. Um, so he was a comm staffer as well in 2016. He's the current Trump spokesperson that gaslights um, every single news happening and gives us, you know, up is down narrative of what's going on. Um, so he was a comm staffer in 2016. I kind of just interacted with him from a distance. And the viewers of Lights On will be somewhat familiar with my story, which is that I was very quickly promoted. And then I came under attack by my former boss and a competitive um, new colleague who entirely sabotaged my work and defamed me. Now, part of that defamation was ludicrous claims that I was snooping around in Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller's offices trying to take pictures of documents and sell them to the media. And um, this was really at the heart of 
their very significant retaliation against me, banning me from Trump Tower, exiling me to Colorado. And um, one of the people in cahoots with Camilo Sandoval, who was my former boss, who was very engaged in these slanderous lies, uh, was Stephen Chung. And um, Camilo Sandoval testified under oath in a deposition that Stephen Chung was one who was just fabricating this notion that I was out there shopping bids was the quote, shopping bids to the media to see how much I could get the media to pay me for a story while I was working on the Trump campaign. This is complete fiction. But these are the characters, Stephen Chung, uh, John McEntee is another one I know of, and we'll surely write about him in the book, who are completely unfit, who are completely unhinged and untethered to truth, um, flagrant in their willingness to go outside of the bounds of legality and morality and ethics. Um, these are the people that are running Donald Trump's campaign that are preparing this horrific uh, Project 2025. People that have absolutely no guardrails, who just invent, invent narratives out of thin air to, um, to scare people. Um, and to serve their own, you know, un endless quest for power. Yeah, very, my, very dangerous people. One of my favorite uh, Johnny McEntee stories, who's who was the personnel director for the White House and is the um, head of the shadow government movement for, for Trump now, is when Trump had McEntee go to two military men uh, one was the uh, acting secretary of defense and the other was on uh, the joint chiefs and tell them that Trump was very upset when they, along with uh, Mark Milley, went to the press and said that the military would have no role in the peaceful transfer of power. In other words, they would not be involved with the election results or trying to enforce them in any way. And that's exactly what Donald Trump as the dictator didn't want to hear. He wanted the threat of using the military against his own people to be a to be a possible outcome. And McEntee went to them and said, the boss said, anybody says anything like that one more time, they're going to be fired. And they all, and they all got the message. I mean, they were, we're coming down. It was the, the clock was winding down. It was like the last 20, 30 days of the administration. But the fact that McEntee would even think to do that and go do that against democracy with the threat of using the military against his own uh, civilian population and fellow Americans. And the fact that, th that this guy is, <clears throat> he, I don't, he doesn't win the presidency, but the fact that he's even going to likely win the Republican nomination is just, uh, it's just breathtaking in its, um, it's just breathtaking. It is breathtaking. And yeah, Johnny McEntee, a prick, someone with a complete overblown sense <laughs> of self-importance. For, for a person who chastised me for making fun of Chung's appearance, you had no problem with McEntee. All right, go ahead. Oh no, McEntee is a piece of piece of work. And you know, I'll tell you, uh, let me tell, let me just give you a, a, a preview of my, um, you know, what I will write about Johnny McEntee. Like this guy thinks he's good looking. And mm. like, I thought he was repulsive because of his attitude. And he, you know, he didn't like that. And so he was extremely disgustingly condescending to me on yeah. more than one instance. And he, um, you know, he kind of felt my, you know, just disinterest in him <laughs> and was kind of taken aback by it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, they're gross. Prick, for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> Did I just get Jessica to use the P word on her own show? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad word. Right? Yeah. Well, they're they're all. But uh, the, you know, listen. I you should be you you have been and you will continue to be commended. And uh, you know, and thank God you're on our network because who's doing that? It's like a thankless job to um, go out and take on not not just speak truth to power, but take away part of their arsenal that they use, as you said, not just against all of you. But all the people in the future now, when anybody is yeah. shoved, you know, hey, you want to work on a campaign here? Sign this NDA. Everybody knows or should know about what you did, what you accomplished, and the case law precedent that um, that you established. Tell me more about, and I'm sure your audience knows about it, but I, I don't. I'm not following it enough. Tell me more about Project 2025 and what we can do about it. 
So lights on viewers, have you noticed that um, Michael Popak has entirely hijacked the questioning portion of the show? Oh, is that true? <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. I thought, I thought you told me before. I, here's, I thought you said here's a couple of questions you can throw my way. <laughs> I love it. I'm 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 giving you a hard time. I but by the way, I told I told Pope to do this beforehand. So, <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know we've covered it. We've covered it uh, before on Lights On. We have you know of course plans to exact revenge against all of Trump's enemies, against Mark Milley, against um, you know Bill Barr, even against anybody who Trump perceives. Uh, as someone who went after him, he's going to weaponize the DOJ as he did in his first administration, but this time with much more latitude. Um, he is threatening to, um, he, well, first of all, Project 2025, of course, is this recruitment project to recruit all of these loyalists, all of these characters like John McEntee, like Camilo Sandoval that I've been describing, like Stephen Chung. Um, that will that will do Trump's bidding above the will of the people, replacing the civil service with sycophants for Donald Trump. Um, I don't know, Pope. Have you heard of this character, Mike Davis? Which one's Mike Davis? I've heard of so many of the characters. What's he do? Mike Davis is someone who has been floated as a prospect for Attorney General. Um, this is somebody who just the other day threatened to detain and deport Mehdi Hassan. Mm -hmm. um, to place Trump enemies in a gulag and put kids in cages. Um, and this is, this is who Donald Trump is uh, eyeing as an attorney, attorney general. Well, one of, the, one of the lessons that Donald Trump learned, unfortunately, this is why we can never let him get back into power, is that he needs to stock the White House with lawyers that, are, yeah. that will bend the knee to him above all else he made the mistake, this is his mind, not mine. He made the mistake of picking Jeff Sessions, who we thought was a sycophant, but apparently had a, a little pair of brass ones and got sideways with Trump, wouldn't do his bidding, appointed a special counsel and all of that. But he's one thing he's learned, if he's learned any lesson, is that he needs to have lawyers around him that will he could be the puppet master for. He, he tried that already. Yep. You, think, uh, you would think the lesson would be not to surround yourself with lawyers that will do your bidding because look at all the indicted and, all, and disbarred lawyers that worked with him in the first go around. I mean, mm -hmm. does anybody remember the law firm of Chesbro, Eastman, Giuliani, Ellis, and Powell? Like what happened to that law firm? <laughs> they're either, they're either uh, convicted, criminals, right, convicted, <laughs> convicted criminals and or lost or about to lose their law licenses. But that, yeah. that's the lesson he learned. He learned that, so at every cabinet level, we're going to have a lawyer that's going to be the enforcer for whoever Donald Trump picks as the director of that cabinet or the cabinet, the, the member of the cabinet. And then, of course, the White House counsel, everybody around the White House, solicitor general, and the entire Department of Justice, which will both be hollowed out, meaning they will stop having resources to go after things that matter like voting rights and civil rights and police brutality and things that matter to the average person and to people who are the black and brown and disadvantaged, that'll be hollowed out. And then it'll be replaced with people whose, whose sole purpose is to go after the enemies list developed by Donald Trump. Yeah, that's what they're gonna do. Uh, Jeff, speaking of criminal co-defendants, Jeffrey Clark wants to invoke the Insurrection Act on day one. And you know, I was thinking about the irony of this Pope because uh, I just spoke with Donald Sherman of Crew. They, of course, had this massive ruling out of Colorado saying that, yes, Trump did, in fact, engage in insurrection. The judge, you know, stuck in this caveat, this kind of like illogical caveat that Don the presidency is not an office. Um, definitely check out check out that interview with Donald Sherman. He went through their appeal that they just filed and uh, why it's looking very, very good for them. But I was thinking of the irony of this. Donald Trump is as we all know, um, engaged in insurrection, just got that legal finding that he did so in fact. And yet he wants to use the Insurrection Act to quash dissent on day one if he's elected, because God knows, uh, Michael, that we're all going to be, uh, you know, we're not going to be sitting at home saying, oh, Donald Trump's president. We're going to be out in the streets protesting this madness if God forbid this happens. 
Yeah, I mean, I was in New York when he was elected, and uh, unfortunately, my apartment sat between Trump International on Columbus Circle and Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, and it was ground zero for protesters that it, right after the election. Uh, when I say unfortunately, uh, that it came out wrong. The protests were great. It just happened to be out in front of my apartment. <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> Sorry, a little noisy, maybe. It's a little noisy, but having said <laughs> that, I can imagine multiply that by the millions in terms of the protests that'll happen. And the fact, I mean, it's, it is just a scary dystopian purge, another P word for today, purge-like atmosphere that we can expect with Donald Trump. The fact that they're even using the Insurrection Act word or the uh, martial law, suspending the constitution, the fact that there's a candidate for the presidency that's using that vocabulary and that's okay with a hundred million people <clears throat> is, I don't know what, you know, sometimes I have to pinch myself what country I woke up in because it's not the country that I, um, that I, that I expect in, in, uh, you know, United States 5.0 or whatever we are now after the founding of our democracy, this constitutional Republic, uh, enamored a large portion of the country enamored with a person who is not even secretly just blatantly transparently uh, a dictator and a fascist is um you wondered how it happened in other countries and you say no it would never happen here we love our democracy and we love independence too much but not, not you know no i guess i guess there's a group of people that like to be told what to do when to do it and they, they and they confuse that with freedom yeah, I want to agree with you that Donald Trump is not going to be president again. God knows I want to agree with you. I just know that we have our work cut out for us. I said last week, if they have Project 2025, we have Project 2024, oh, yeah. which means that Project 2025 never happens. Um, we've got our work cut out for us over the next year to uh, mobilize voters to increase that, you know, 8 million margin that Biden won by the last time, keep the coalition together, lay out the stakes. Um, and you're so right. They are showing us their true colors. Another example of this real, really flagrant fascism is this latest episode with Elon Musk and Ken Paxton, big time Trump ally and also currently under criminal indictment, attorney general of Texas. Uh, are you up to date on this? No, you. Well, but I'll, I'll catch up quickly. You, you okay, lead so off and I'll, I'll do color commentary. Go ahead. Basically, Elon Musk um pretty overtly endorsed a, a blatantly anti-Semitic comment on right. uh, Twitter. And the liberal watchdog group Media Matters um, called this out and called out how um, how ads that sponsors were running on, on X on Twitter were running alongside some known extremist accounts. So Donald or Donald Trump, <laughs> I'm conflating them. I wonder why. Elon Musk threatens to sue Media Matters. He made good on his promise, sued them um, for harming, I guess, his relationship with sponsors, because a lot of these sponsors have backed out of uh, doing business with X since 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 this whole episode. And on top of this, uh, Ken Paxton announces a fraud investigation into Media Matters. Um, Ken Paxton, who is a fraudulent con artist himself in, in investigating media matters in the name of free speech, more of this free speech gaslighting while literally trying to silence a media entity who is engaged in free speech. Yeah. The thermonuclear lawsuit that Elon Musk threatened turned out to be, That's the one. yeah, it turned out to be for me a, a pop gun, you know, like a pea shooter. He's never going to prevail. These are just press releases masquerading once again as lawsuits. Um, you know, for somebody that took over Twitter allegedly, because as you said, he wanted to be the bastion of free speech. The fact that he doesn't like the fact that, you know, Nazi propaganda can end up and he can and he can like, as you said, and and retweet or re whatever it's called these days. Listen, I'll be honest with you, I'd love to get off of Twitter X, whatever it's called. And if there was an alternative where I could take all my followers with me and not and be able to communicate with them. I, I hold my nose every time I go on there because it's just so, as we suspected, as we all suspected when he took over that platform, that it would go into the, into the shitter. 
Sorry. Yeah. But, um, and every time. Well, you we're know, all on threads now, right? You're on threads. I try, but it's, you know, there's just right. not the same. It's not the same. I agree. I know. But, yeah. but your dear, point. Dear Meta, which I do, I'm not any huge fan of and only recently joined no. out of desperation, but Dear Meta, make it more engaging. Yeah. Right? Yes. So I agree. No, that I agree move. with. Yeah. I agree with that. But to your yeah. point, which is a good one, whenever you hear a politician, which is what the attorney general is in Texas and what, um, you know, the people, the MAGA Republicans in the House, whenever you hear them sticking their nose into law, you know, we like to say on Legal AF, we're at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. When you see a politician inappropriately trying to interfere with a criminal investigation, state or federal, that's all about local crime or crime committed there, or you see, or you see Paxton doing, they're just being uh, commanded by their cult leader, Donald Trump, to run interference for him by meddling where they shouldn't be. In, in this type of thing. Paxton doesn't care about you know, uh, that. He's trying to protect a protector of Donald Trump and run interference for him. Um, and you just have to do what we continue to do, shine the light on all these things, shove them back and out of these spheres. There's a reason we have three co-equal branches of government on the federal side, and there's, a, there's supposed to be a healthy relationship between the, the states and the feds. But the... But the um, the MAGA, the MAGA right wing doesn't care about what lane they're in. Um, they'll cross over in order to do the bidding of their fearless leader at any time. They, the reason we're seeing impeachment or Fawny Willis being attempted to be called into Congress or Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, or Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, um, is because they think it's scoring political points for Donald Trump. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. And so we just have to see it, rip the mask off, call it out for what it is, and continue to follow it on shows like yours and on Legal AF. Well, one thing I have definitely been following, and I want to get your expert analysis and answer on this, is this uh, madness with Eileen Cannon. Um, of course, the latest is that she refused to set SIPA deadlines in December, as Jack Smith's team had asked. She instead punted to not, you know, saying I will consider this at a March hearing while this is supposed to be, uh, this trial is supposed to be scheduled in May. Everybody seems to agree that is all but surely not going to happen at this point. This is my question for you, Pope. Does Jack Smith at this point have the legal ability because of the way she has been issuing these minute orders, as I understand it, to appeal to the 11th circuit. I don't think so. And I, and I think she's careful in there. There's a broad discretion, whether we like it or not for a trial judge to control his or her own docket. And we may not agree with it. And we think fundamentally she, she doesn't know how SEPA works. She doesn't know the deadlines and the land milestone milestones that she's supposed to set along the way, or she knows them and she's purposely dragging her feet in order to delay the trial. As one of the legal commentators uh, wrote recently that I read and I liked, it's like she's booking restaurant reservations knowing she's never going to go to those restaurants. She's trying to block out. It looks like she's trying to do a block and tackle project for Donald Trump to help him have only at most one criminal trial, but certainly not two criminal trials if she can help it before the election, which of course is counter to what all the nonpartisan um, sober jurists, prosecutors, and judges believe. If you if you were to get if if you were you know people talk about the dinner party of their dreams, right? You know, I'd love I'd have Moses, I'd have Ben Franklin, I'd have Elvis all at the same dinner party. If I could get Scott McAfee, the judge in Georgia, Judge Chutkin, the judge in in D.C., Judge Mershon, the judge in New York, and Judge Kaplan, the judge in E. Jean Carroll. And we could throw another one in there <clears throat> all together at a cocktail party. Now, <laughs> I would love that cocktail party, by the way. And I could say to them, <clears throat> what is your number one concern about the timing of the trial for Donald Trump? And I would think to a person, they would say that it is important to democracy and to the justice system that there be a public trial 
thumb up or thumb down, exonerated or convicted of Donald yep. Trump before the electorate goes to the ballot box Absolutely. and pulls the trigger. That's all they're concerned about. Yep. Now, if Aileen Cannon, and I got to pronounce it Aileen, because if I don't, I get a lot of flack in my chats. If Aileen Cannon- <laughs> The least is, we can do is butcher their names, right? Yes. Like, I, I know, okay. people get all upset. Like, it's not- I said Tuberville instead of, instead of Tuberville. I'm like, for God's sakes, that's the least we can do to the guy. <laughs> that's what I said. I said Cheeseboro one time. It's like, Chessboro. Like, who cares? Does anybody really care except for people in his own house? Um, by the way, I love, on Ken Chessboro, I love the fact that he had to just file in Georgia a, a notice with the judge to, ask, to ask to leave. I, I don't know if you've heard about this judge, yeah. but there's a there's electoral fraud investigations yes. all around the country, and they want me there. Yeah, okay. I know. Good. <laughs> a whistle. I called it a whistle stop tour uh, mm -hmm. on my thing. But if I could have that cocktail party, even if Aileen Cannon arrived back to my cocktail party uh, imagery, which I like, uh, they uh, sh she be she would not be part of that. I thought she was in that club originally despite all of the misgivings, misgivings we had, when she set the original May date, I was like, hmm, well, may, hey, maybe we had her wrong. Yeah. With all that conversation and all that speculation, she did pick a date before November. Now, Karen Friedman Ignifolo, our, our, our in-house prosecutor at Legal AF, who co-anchors with me, I asked her in the last show, how many trials do you think we're gonna have before November? She said, maybe two. I said, what's your second one? She said, um, she said, scheduled or like completed? I said, completed. She, she said, I, not Georgia. She's right about that. And Stormy Daniels would only take a short amount of time up in New York. But I don't think there's a political will to try that case while there's the other March trial that's starting. They couldn't go simultaneously with Judge Chutkin's case. If Judge Chutkin's case somehow got moved because of an appeal by Donald Trump and there was suddenly an opening on the Donald Trump dance card, I could see, because it's still on the books, the New York Stormy Daniels business record fraud case sliding into March. And I love the fact, and, and I know Ben on my show, Ben Micellis, talks a lot about uh, the brilliance of Fawny Willis, which I agree with, the fact that Fawny held her, held her fire, kept her powder dry, waiting to see how and when Aileen Cannon was going to make her decision. And when she couldn't wait any longer about what, what date would be open on the calendar in 2024, she said, okay, I'm going to take the summer. So she came in and August. said, I'm going to take, yeah, in the August. I'll, yeah. I'll take August. Now she knows because she, she had given an interview earlier that week that I did a hot take on, <clears throat> pardon me. She knows this is going to be a six month trial. So it's going to be well into 2025. Well yeah. into 2025. And if he gets elected in 2024, he'll move to stay that case. But let's hope we don't have that problem. But to answer your question, Aileen Cannon is doing everything within sort of the letter of what she's allowed to do to find an excuse in order to say, mm -hmm. well, we tried everybody, but we just can't make May work. Yeah. And then as soon as she's out, right, uh, there's other trials out there. You know, you know, I think that the March trial, if it stays, and I think there's a high probability that the Judge Chuck in D.C. election interference case for conspiracy counts against just Donald Trump. Yeah. Nobody, nobody added on there. That's a three month trial at most, maybe four. So now you're March, April, May, June. You got a jury returning a verdict maybe for the 4th of July, something like that. And you got it in, up or down, thumbs up or thumbs down. So yeah. now her July works, right? Her yeah. summer, her August works. And if, <clears throat> but that's all we're going to get. We're going to get one and a half, maybe, yeah, one and a half trials done for before the people have to go to vote. And, but the problem, as you noted earlier, is, is where is the electoral head at? The people that voted for Biden and are Democrats, they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. The people that are always Trumpers are never going to vote for Joe Biden. Or even if Joe Biden was 51 instead of 81, they're not going to vote for him. So, so we're fighting for that slice of the pie that's maybe 8, 10, 12, 15 percent of true independence and people that we can pull who have this givings about Trump that will compensate for people who voted for Biden the first time and don't want to vote for him the second time. And hopefully that group cancels each other out. And now we're fighting for the heart and soul of this, this democracy, 
with a small group of people who haven't made up their mind and are currently, they think they're at some sort of all-you-can-eat buffet in Vegas, and they're looking, oh, look at over here. There's a Kennedy guy. Oh, my God. Like, you know, well, I, you know, speaking of Kennedy, I think, I think, and I, I've heard this analysis and I tend to agree with it, that his candidacy hurts Trump more than it hurts Biden. I agree, because the yeah. Trump, I'll tell you why you're right about that. Because the a conspiracy voters, theorist. Yeah. Right. The Trump voters are like, they'll never vote for Biden. Yeah. But the, but Kennedy looks as crazy as Trump. So he's a good alternative. But he's yeah. not a good alternative for Biden to Democrats because he's too out there. You know, unfortunately, yeah. I like everything about him except his except his policies and his thought process. <laughs> everything else is great. He looks like a president. He's got the right last name for me. I'm a Kennedy Democrat. Doesn't work. Yeah, I just feel bad for the guy. Like he's like spilling water cups every time. Like his teleprompter <laughs> doesn't work. <I'm> like, <laughs> and he's married. He's married to a funny person. He's married to the I know the woman no, who plays the wife on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I know, wild, wild. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Fonny Willis. Um, we touched on Cannon, which I also I also after you know when she was assigned to this case, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. I almost am like you know trying to project on manifest with her my hopes for the former Trump campaign staffers. <laughs> Withdraw yourself from this box you're in. Look at your place in history. <laughs> you know. I don't even know how she got Listen to your better angels. <laughs> I, I mean, I know you were you were part of Hispanic outreach, and and I know her background, and I know people that know her from Coral Gables, Florida, where she went to high school, and I you know I was down there for twenty years, and I have a, a large group of people that I'm close with that are in the Hispanic and and a community down in Miami. I know her background. I know the school she went to. I know the college she went to. I know the law school she went to. I know people that know her. You know, she, yes, she was in the Federalist Society, but she wasn't originally picked because she was a Trumper. She was picked because Margo Ru Marco Rubio was looking around for a Hispanic woman who, who was willing to work in Fort Pierce, Florida. And she was coming off a gig where she and her husband, because he has a job up there, were already up there. Fort Pierce is the sleepy backwater of the Southern District of Florida, usually, district. It's nobody wants to go there. Um, I have, you know, I, Middle Brooks, who people know as the judge in the case that Donald Trump brought against Hillary Clinton and the DNC and then got sanctioned over a million dollars with Alina Haba. Um, he, was a lawyer that practiced in Miami. He didn't even want to go any further than West Palm Beach. And he was like, well, I'm not doing Fort Pierce. So they were just looking for somebody like, and somebody said, hey, Aileen Cannon, Hispanic, living up there already, Federalist Society. And he was like, sure, that sounds good. It wasn't a Trump pick. It was a Marco Rubio pick. But uh, she's little, falling little in hands. love with her It was a little moment. hands pick? Huh? It was a little hands, little yeah. hands pick. He's disappeared from the political scene, though. He These used to people be, are so pathetic. Oh, my yeah. God. He used yeah. to be a rock star in the Republican Party. I know. And now you he's know, like. He, he used to be on TV shows and talk shows and going to yeah. be president and, and just completely disappeared. But he yeah. did give us Aileen Cannon, unfortunately. And she, whether she was a Trumper before or not, <clears throat> she certainly has in her mind that her poll star, whereas Chutkin's poll star is the um, – to preserve the proper administration of the judicial system and the criminal justice system, not showing fear or favor, and to make sure this person gets tried before the election. That's not Cannon's North Star. Her I don't North know Star is Donald Trump. She doesn't get up in the morning <laughs> thinking democracy requires that Donald no. Trump be tried in advance. She gets up in the morning like, how can I F with the SEPA? laws to, to buy this guy more time. She, she gets up in the morning and says, how can I make Donald Trump's lawyers arguments before they do? It, Let me try. It, right. They're not making the right argument. I'll make it for them. I've had judges yeah. do that. It's not that. How can I give them an idea? Yeah. And so she, so to answer the original question at the top of the segment, I don't think we're at the point where Jack Smith can, in, in much to their chagrin, where they can run into the, uh, to the 11th circuit. An 11th Circuit that I think has just been waiting to be asked whether they agree with what Judge yes. uh, Cannon, they already they already slapped her twice in prior rulings before the um, indictment even happened. But 
you know, again, th their trial judges are given so much latitude. It's and it's and it has to be overturned on what's called an abuse of discretion standard. It's the lowest standard we have. A trial judge is given that much uh, weight to what they do, and only if there's clear error. And you know, could you quibble here and there in the day? Sure. Does everybody with eyes see what she's doing? Sure. Is it reversible error? I'm not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to give everybody a little bit of uh, hope on this, you're describing the schedule. And if all things go as planned, Fonnie Willis gets her August date, even if that trial is not finished. Let's remind everybody cameras in the courtroom in Georgia. That will be an incredibly powerful um, expose for Donald Trump's criminality. And, you know, I, I'll never forget, I bring it up all the time on Lights On Pope is uh, the January 6th hearings and what an impact they had on public narrative. I think they had an immense impact on the 2022 midterms where MAGA was just shellacked um, and really lost uh, in so many ways. So I think there's going to be, um, you know, an exposure of this criminality, these threats um, and what Donald Trump did to this country um, and even his own supporters, uh, the fraud and criminal that he is. And and uh, if that trial gets gets underway, even if it doesn't get completed, we will get to watch it in our living rooms. Well, well, and to your point, the Jan 6 committee report was used extensively by the judge in Colorado in making her findings that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection and rebellion against the Constitution of the United States. She, a lot of it, yes, there were witnesses that testified and evidence that was presented, but a lot of it she relied on the findings of the Jan 6 Committee. So it's already paying dividends. And let's just do a quick yeah. scorecard as of right now, right before Thanksgiving. We have not one, not two, but three separate judges, two federal and one state, that have determined that Donald Trump, the leading candidate for the Republican nomination, has committed a crime. Right. We've got the ju Judge Carter in the Central District of California while he was handling the John Eastman text messages and email imbroglio involving the Jan 6 committee ruled that it was more likely than not that Donald Trump committed a fraud or crime, stripping him of his attorney client privilege with John Eastman. We have we have Judge uh, Beryl Howell, who then was the chief judge of the uh, D.C. court federal who ruled also in relationship to Evan Corcoran, another uh, who will testify against Donald Trump, by the way, in Mar-a-Lago, another lawyer for Donald Trump, that it was more likely than not that Donald Trump committed a crime or fraud in Mar-a-Lago against his own lawyer in hiding the documents, even from him, who was the lead contact person for the Department of Justice. And now we have Judge Watson, it's Judge Watson, right, in Colorado State Court, who after a week long- Wallace. Sarah Wallace. Wallace. I was so close. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> I don't know why. Why? Okay. Judge okay. Wallace, w. Wallace who, who yeah. after a week-long trial and briefing that stretched his back, you know, months and expert testimony, including those who talked about, you know, stochastic terrorism and how Don, who she credited, who said that Donald Trump's strong call and response with his, with his uh, followers, he'll call for violence and they will respond. Uh, she credited and, and made it as a finding of fact in her in her case. She made a finding, another judge, that Donald Trump not only committed a crime, because that sounds like you know he he pickpocketed, he tried to he no not tried he engaged in rebellion and or insurrection against the Constitution, you know over which he took an oath to preserve, defend, and protect as the commander in chief. That, that very document. Yeah, absolutely. From my case to Colorado, um, you know, I, I gave the courts a little bit of a hard time in the open, but we are making immense progress and we just have to keep, keep chugging away at this and not give any deferential treatment to Donald Trump. Uh, Michael, I wanted to close just on a, on a note about Rosalind Carter the powerhouse humanitarian champion for mental health, um, really true partner to her husband, Jimmy Carter, um, who passed away this past week at the age of 96. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with this Pope, what a, what a partner she was to, um, to 
to Jimmy. And I almost like, I almost feel like there's not an example in recent history of a first lady and maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this is my ignorance of history, but who was so engaged on policy and publicly so as Rosalind Carter. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love the Carters. I'm one of the people that, you know, go to presidential libraries and I've been to the Jimmy Carter presidential Library. library, which has a huge section that is properly devoted to her and their marriage, which I think was a great strength to Jimmy Carter during a very trying period in American history. So yeah, she's definitely up there. I mean, I I think you could debate uh, Michelle Obama being involved with policy behind, especially behind the scenes. I think she was a trusted advisor for her yeah. husband. I think Hillary certainly involved with policy as related to Clinton care and and the attempt at getting you know it didn't work, but trying to get universal health care and taking the lead on that. So that's true. But 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 I, I think that there was a uniqueness to that relationship dating back to when he was in the Navy you know, uh, Jimmy Carter. And it's going to be very sad because, you know, she moved into hospice, you know, two days before she died to be next to her husband. And these two are like, you know, my, when you see inseparable. Uh, yeah. When you see these yeah. love, love birds and one dies, yeah. the other one's good. Jimmy Carter is not going to go much longer. Unfortunately, yeah. we're going to be talking about a presidential, uh, presidential burial here attended by three or four presidents. Of course, Donald Trump couldn't help himself and said stupid things about Jimmy Carter, uh, specifically to take a shot at, at democracy, you know, while the woman is not even in the ground yet. Well, instead of listening to stupid things, let's listen to Rosalind Carter, a clip from a trip she made after or coming back from Latin America when, when Jimmy Carter was president. I really enjoyed this. I found goodwill and friendship everywhere I went. They love you in the Caribbean and in Latin America. And every head of state that I spoke with, without exception, agreed with me on the importance of cooperating and consulting closely on the issues that concern you, Jimmy, and that concern us all. Human rights, nuclear nonproliferation, economic development, arms control. I think we've made progress in all of these areas. I'm glad to be back home. I'm glad to be with Amy and with Jimmy. I'm going to convey all of this information that I have to Jimmy. In fact, I look forward to consulting closely with him on a regular basis. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you reminded me as I'm, uh, as I'm um, uh, picking my brain here, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, very involved with yeah. domestic policy, especially during the Depression era on behalf, and, you know, and, and it's a healthy thing for, and I can only talk about men who have been the president because unfortunately that's all we have so far as examples, but it's a healthy thing when the man in power has such a close and cooperative and equal relationship with their mate that it, it strengthens the presidency, doesn't weaken it. The fact that she only half joked because of the times there in the 70s about, uh, I'm looking forward to regularly consulting with you, that happened. And even though they, you know, she had to also be clutching her pearls a little bit because that was the era, um, she went down there and did policy. Uh, yeah, I think that's why it stood out to me so much because yeah. of the era. Just her, you know, very public facing um, engagement in policy was well, so ahead of her time. That's because you like your your first ladies who are human beings first and collaborative partners second. And you don't like your first ladies who don't take an active role and seriousness to the position and run up the, the stairs of a plane with a jacket that reads, I don't care. Do you? Do you? I mean, that's what we had. I mean, the, the people that continue to believe on the Trump side that Melania was the greatest first lady that we've ever had doesn't understand the his history and doesn't understand the history of first ladies. It's an insult to both Republican and Democratic first ladies. You can put Laura Bush in there as people that did good things while they were in office. And I'll credit as well, Barbara Bush in her own way, even though I didn't agree with everything. Uh, Melania? Only thing, the only thing that she's going to be remembered for in the history books is ripping up the Rose Garden and having bloody red Christmas bloody trees. Bloody Christmas trees. During, that's it. <laughs> I think that, that and, and the jacket. That yes. is your entire first ladyship. Yep. Yep. And my, uh, my good friend, Stephanie Winston Walkoff, would agree with you on all those points, as well as the fact that it's not poor Melania and she's not mysterious. She's really <laughs> easy to figure out. <laughs> Great.
But anyway, Michael Popak, thank you so much for coming back with me on Lights On. It's been so much fun. We could do this for hours. <laughs> Agreed. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I don't know why I, must, I thought I was on more often, but I will definitely <laughs> well, I've been on. I've been on Legal IF. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. But if you'll have Karen's me. Karen's been here. She's coming back too. So. Good. good. <laughs> if, if you'll have us, we're, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it all Love again in 2024. Love to have you all the time. All right, Michael Pubak, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this special Black Friday episode of Lights On. As always, you can support my legal efforts continuing against the Donald Trump campaign. And we need your support at thejessicadenson.com slash donate, thejessicadenson.com slash donate. Thank you so much. One thing I am immensely grateful for during this time of year is your support. Um, also, you can support this show for no cost by just subscribing to Lights On with Jessica Denson wherever you get your audio podcasts. Definitely, if you're inclined, leave us a review and a comment. We would absolutely love that. And you can subscribe to my personal YouTube page, Jessica Denson, which will always have the most current Lights On episodes as well as the Lights On interviews we do throughout the week, like the one this week with Donald Sherman of Crew. So subscribe there as well. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. Um, I just want to say if anybody out there is alone during the holidays, I want you to know that you're not alone. We love you. We're thinking about you. And um, in addition to spending time with family, you know, think about think about those during the holidays that um, that don't have family to, to spend time with or that are alone and uh, would just be touched by an outreach of even the smallest gesture of kindness. We have so much power to to enlighten and help the world around us. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful weekend and let your light shine.